0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast. I am David Chen, and with me are... Devinder Hardwar. And Jeff Kanata. Welcome to the show, everyone. What we're going to do on the podcast tonight, we got some emails to cover, and then we are going to dive into some what we've been watching. Before we move on into an in-depth review, this week we'll be reviewing uh, the Amazon original movie The Vast of Night, uh, which is available right now on Prime Video. So before we get to all of that, uh, something we've been doing at the top of every podcast is I've kind of been checking in with you guys uh, just to see how you're doing with all the stuff that is going on right now. Um, and particularly in New York, I know, uh, has been not only a flashpoint of the pandemic, but obviously uh, these uh, anti-police brutality protests that have been going on. Um, so, Davindra, how, how have you been? How, how has your life been changing in the last uh, week or two?
1: Well, you know, uh, you could say it's not great, because a lot of these protests are happening just a few streets from me. Um, It is it's a crazy time. And honestly, I wish I feel bad because I, I want to be out there. And I fully support, you know, what people are protesting. And it's amazing to see how How much progress they've made, um, not just in New York, but like throughout the country, throughout the world, um, shining a light on police brutality, especially against black people here in America. Um, I think that's all very important. I can't I can't go because I'm very worried about the pandemic still happening. And my wife is immunocompromised and I have a small baby. So it's like I feel guilty and bad and all these things are happening. um, But, you know. Uh, New York will survive. New York goes through quite a few things. And the sheer amount of video evidence of everything happening, you know, it's things people have talked about for a while. You know, the just crazy stories you'd hear about how they're treated by the police. And now you're getting multiple angles. You're getting you're getting all these all this footage of police basically responding to a police brutality protest with brutality which is, I guess, ironic in a way, but telling and things are happening. Like uh, Mayor Bill de Blasio said that uh, for the first time, they're going to be, you know, reducing funding for the NYPD. Uh, The Minneapolis uh, Police Department, I believe, is being disbanded and reworked in a different way. So the ideas of policing and, you know, how we treat our communities are changing. So I'm hopeful about that. And amid all this, I'm also preparing for a move because I did not want to be in New York during COVID primetime, you know, hot season. So here we go. It's, it's all these things happening at once. I'm moving at the end of the month, and it's all crazy. Uh,
0: yeah, it is remarkable how much the conversation has changed uh, over the course of the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it feels like the protests are being very efficacious in the sense that uh, there's many people who... If you, if you said to people six months ago defund the police, right? right? Or if you said like disband the Minneapolis Police Department, um, most people would not have been on board with that. That went from being something that probably the majority of people uh, did not agree with or did not believe in to now uh, the Minneapolis City Council has announced an intent to disband the police department, start over from scratch. Um, and so it, it just has been breathtaking to see uh, the extent of the change, both in terms of like people on the streets and, and advocating for the change, but also like how it has filtered out to the rest of society. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you're keeping safe over there, Devendra. Uh But yeah, it's it can be tough when you it's live scary. with people who, who yeah. are immunocompromised, and you can't you don't want to you you want to go out and help, but you can't really. Um, you can't really do it in the way that you you'd like because you also have other considerations. Um, so I think everyone's just doing their best right now to uh, to advocate for the causes that they believe in. I'm donating where I
1: can. By the way, I just, just want to say like there are so many places to donate to. So if you're feeling trapped at home and useless, I guess amidst this massive global movement, donate to their their many bail funds or many things you could do to help this whole situation.
0: Are there any specific causes you want to highlight, Divinder? We can link to them in the show notes.
1: I believe it was the Brooklyn Bail Fund is the one I've mainly been doing because mm-hmm. what the NYPD has been doing here is just like literally just rounding up protesters um, and especially after curfew and the whole idea of having a curfew in a city like New York is just insane. But it is insane seeing what the police have been doing, just like, you know, arresting people willy nilly or like doing things to give themselves reasons to arrest protesters it's it's none of it's it's not fair like that's really what it comes down to it seems like a massive abuse of power so bail funds are very good a very good thing to put your money towards
2: that video uh i retweeted out today i among many that have shocked me over the last week or so Mm -hmm. um this is on the the low end of of shock but it is still shocking to see uh Police officers caught uh, slashing tires on yep. cars Yep. so that people can't actually so can't leave before the curfew is, is up. Well, it's also, oh, crazy. Man.
1: That's crazy. And also, there's a lot of footage of uh, police officers destroying things like water bottles and the medical supplies protesters yeah. need to actually be out there. And a lot of the reasoning for that is because people are using water to clear the tear gas from their eyes. I did not realize... It was the cops job to prevent people from, you know, having their eyes burned. I realize that's why they're releasing things to disperse them. But it's insane. It's an insane thing. Um, Yeah. Jeff, wh- what's going on with you? Well,
2: uh, I live in the northern part of, of Los Angeles County uh, in the valley, in the deep valley. So I'm. Not in the heart of where I used to live is literally the heart of where a lot of this protesting has has happened. And I have a lot of friends still that that have lived uh, ar- around where some of the rioting has taken place and looting has taken place. and it's you know, it's a crazy crazy time. i uh, yeah, I certainly have been heartened to see, as you guys have said, how this really does seem to be a singular moment uh, where. You know, you have Roger Goodell coming out and saying, hey, we were wrong. We were wrong. We shouldn't have been so mad at Colin Kaepernick yeah. and run, it, run mm-hmm. him out of the league. You know, if when you have the commissioner of the National Football League say Black Lives Matter and sorry about all that you're not supposed to kneel stuff, I think that points to a massive paradigm shift in people's attitudes yeah. and uh feelings about this because that was unfathomable three years ago when kaepernick was doing that stuff um and so i i think we're we're witnessing a moment that i that i think will will result in some real change which is not very common <laughs> in the world you know yeah. there's a lot of things that happen that uh that unfortunately seem like a, a very short news cycle, especially in, in this time in our lives when information is bombarding us all the time. It seems like a big deal in a moment and then ne- then we're on to the next big deal. But it it certainly feels like this is different this time and I'm very heartened and encouraged by that. It seems like this is mobilizing and inspiring an entire generation of people and they are really inheriting america from us olds you know i think i think i am now an old uh, and certainly the generation ahead of me that <laughs> you know the i the, the boomers to use that term um they just don't realize that it's not their country anymore that <laughs> literally has been inherited and uh and i'm i'm glad to see that that it seems like there's an entire generation of kids who believe in justice for all people and uh really are passionate about human rights and um and decency and i think that's very heartening mm-hmm. and yes it's in the in the context of a lot of unrest and property damage and all these things but uh but ultimately i i'm really hopeful that this marks a a moment that has a before and an after and that the after will actually end up being better for the world and better for our country. So, you know, as difficult as this has all been to see and to live through, and to, my heart is invested, and I, I find myself uh, on a roller coaster ride of emotion every single day, just looking at the news and following Twitter.
1: Yeah, but it's impossible. To like I think there is hope. I think there is
2: hope here. You know, I do.
1: Yeah. I want
0: to uh, highlight a couple of things. First of all, Davinger shouted out the Brooklyn Bail Fund. Um, I actually found this link from actblue.com. Uh, and I'll link to it in the show notes. And basically, it splits your donation automatically oh, yes. between mm-hmm. like 13 different. Uh, organizations including Black Lives Matter, uh, Global Network, National Bailout, Know Your Rights Camp, uh, Black Voters Matter Fund, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I made a donation to that, uh, personally. I'll link to that in the show notes. Uh, that's something that people want to do to support what's happening right now. Uh, I, I, you know, cause I think a lot of people like want to know what they can do that's productive and, and giving money is one of those things. You know, I, I'll say, Jeff, like, I think you and I have had some, um, Uh, disagreements about like let me put it this way I feel like I have struggled a lot with um, what is the function of the the content that I'm making online right now you know Mm -hmm. Um, like should I be and basically like should I even be making content online right now and we've gotten so many emails and tweets and messages from people saying like oh like thank you so much like Mm -hmm. the world is such a hellscape right now and and I, uh, like, the podcast really helps me to get away. And, you know, there's some people have that I've written in saying, hey, please stop doing these check-ins that you're doing right now because I, I, I want the podcast to be my, like, oasis away from that. And um, I honestly, I'm still in the process of, obviously, I'm doing the podcast tonight, so I don't, I haven't, like, completely changed my mind yet, but I'm still in the pro- uh, process of, like, evaluating whether I should be doing stuff like this podcast right now because I think people should feel bad. Like, you should be in agonizing pain right now. Yeah. And if you're not, then something's wrong. Because uh, the only way that I think change is going to be made is if enough people feel so terrible about the fate of people of color, of black people in this country, uh, that they do not accept any other outcome than systemic change. Mm -hmm. So, you know, but but it's like. Uh, at the same time, as that's true, I agree. Like there is value in making things like this podcast, and you know, but I haven't really fully been able to square it. Um But that's just something that's going on. You know, I'm thinking about. Well, yeah, these days. let's
2: be very clear because you started this saying, Jeff. You and I have had disagreements, <laughs> and I think that's you've you've left a, a thread yes. lingering there. It's like what has Jeff been disagreeing with you about? Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> Close so the I don't. Close I don't threat. want to be unclear about that. I think we have all struggled about. Uh, I certainly have. Struggled quite a lot in year, past years of my life. Not not even just in this moment in time, but you know, pre twenty sixteen. You know, but I've thought a lot doing a, a podcast as I do about video games in in weeks where there are mass shootings. Um, you know, so many video games involve guns and and a glorification of violence um so i have i have felt so often that inner conflict of am i actually worsening a problem is my Mm -hmm. is my entire career sort of celebrating creating distractions escapism is that bad is escapism just a turning away from the things that are really important. And I don't I think it's a continuing debate internally for me because there, I don't I don't feel like I have come down on one side or another and I don't think there is a simple answer to that question. But I also do really feel just in my own experience that one can't be in the place of pain all the time mm-hmm. <laughs> because right. as much as I agree with you hundred percent that discomfort and dissatisfaction and anger and all of these emotions that are legitimate and justified are, are the path to change or self-reflection. They also are debilitating and they will crush you. I, at least in my experience that I have found my own mental health requires me not to be in that place 24 Mm seven. And I don't think it is a failure or cowardly or a lack of focus to understand that one needs time away from those feelings just to recharge your batteries and make you make it possible for you to return to the fight because um, I, I personally can't survive that. And I've had. You know, I've had conflict over, like, whether I take Twitter off my phone, you know, do, is ignoring the problem, is turning away from the pain valuable for my mental health, even though I know I need to face it and I need to uh, deal with it every day and I need to be aware and I need to be in the know, like, I can't, So I, these are ongoing struggles, right? But I do... I do think there's value in the things that we we put out into the world, uh, that they are positive, that they are aware, uh, that they are don't deny the realities of what's going on, but that they also allow a brief respite from those feelings for, for a while. And we can all go, yeah, there's still joy in the world. There's still shared hobbies that are joyous, that are valuable, that are wholesome, and uh, we can connect as humans on that level, and maybe that brings us closer together and grants us empathy that is required to move forward on these other deeper, more important issues.
0: Beautifully said, Jeff. And, yeah, uh, maybe disagreement was not the right word. We've had spirited (laughs) debates about it. How about that, you know? Well, I think I
2: I would classify it more as we both— all three of us are trying to work through these issues in real time and understand what's the right thing to do. I mean, we didn't do an episode of the dungeon run last week. We thought it was the right thing to not do our show. Mm -hmm. Um, we, you know, we talked about whether we should put out our episode of the slash film cast last week, this week. Uh, Those are good conversations to have. And yeah, yeah we worked through it and I, I that's how I would categorize it as as us all kind of laying out the pros and cons and really trying to understand in real time in the moment what's the right thing to do what's the most helpful thing to do what's the what what are we responsible for and what is um you know what's the path forward
0: yeah yeah uh, well really well put a couple of other things I've been thinking about as well you know um is, like as you're talking thinking also about um you know p- being complicit but also like the idea of uh a huge component of our uh, entertainment complex is is complicit in things like the glorification of police and yeah, militarism yeah. you know and yeah I was, I do, I, I, it was
2: it yeah. was amazing to see lego pull their advertising and promotion of police lego sets i just thought that was such a powerful notion that lego of all places were like this isn't appropriate to show to kids right now i don't, yeah. I don't know powerful. i'm
0: curious the reckoning that's going to come you know like I-, I wonder if uh hollywood is going to reconsider um how it depicts police because if so, even um shows in which the police are problematic you're still viewing the world through their perspective right, right. um so w- wendell
1: I'm- pierce by the way went off on twitter defending um the wire after ingu kang and uh i forget who the uh, the other tv uh writer she works with um but they wrote a big thing about the wire basically and even the good cop shows seem a little guilty of this in many ways of maybe glorifying the cops even while criticizing them
2: Dude, my favorite show of all time, my favorite yep. television show of all time is The Shield. Yep. And it, it's it's about this, you know, it's, <laughs> it's about bad cops abusing their power and being awful. And you find yourself rooting for Vic Mackey, it, it, you know, it, it, so, it, it's, yes, I, I think all of this stuff and, and clearly that show was trying to show the warts and all, right? It yep. was trying to make a point kind of about that abusive power, but in the... In the showing of that, one finds oneself rooting for Vic Mackey to get away with all of it, right?
1: It's a human thing when seeing a story, right? Is that you end yeah. up feeling, even for terrible people, if it's a well-told story, you will feel some sort of compassion for the main character, no matter how despicable uh, they are. I guess look at Breaking Bad, you know? Yeah. yeah. Speaking
0: of media, I'll just say one last thing and then we can move on to the rest of the show. But um, I have been really shocked at the amount of lying. You know, um, there's, just <laughs> oh, been so much, uh, there's just been so much lying. And I, I know yeah. that like, I, I always knew there was lying. It's not like I didn't, it's not like I thought every cop was completely virtuous or anything like that. But um, I'll link to this article in the Washington Post entitled, In Violent Protest Incidents, a Theme Emerges, Videos Contradict Police Accounts. <laughs> and these are videos that millions of people are watching. Like, it, it, you, you're seeing with your own eyes what's happening. You're seeing pretty much the full context, right? It's not like it's just cutting in right on the action. And uh, then police accounts or statements from police officers are completely contradicting what is happening on screen. And I think just, um, you know, one aspect of uh, of this entire event, you know, Devendra, you're talking about how people protesting police brutality and the police respond with more brutality – um, thus revealing that police brutality is a problem, but in addition, you know kind of a side auxiliary component of it is just that like uh, and something that I think we in general encourage or at least I try to encourage on this podcast is just be mm-hmm. skeptical of anything that anyone tells you. you know um, when you're watching something, uh, when you're listening to someone describe something, just be skeptical of it and uh, I think that's certainly been proven to be something that 's wise to do over the course of the last few weeks it's actually yeah. very Orwellian, in a literal sense. And what I mean by that is <laughs> um, there is a quote in George Orwell, right? The party told you to reject the evidence of your eyes and ears. Yeah. It was their final most essential command. That's from uh nineteen eighty four. Yeah. And be more Trumpian. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, Hey, you've you've seen what's happened and now like the state or state actors are telling you, Nope, it didn't go down that way. Uh, it, it feels very like cognitively dissonant. So
1: yeah. it's I, almost, it's almost like we've experienced fighting fascists and, you know, uh, rampant liars before. It's like, yeah. oh, man.
2: <laughs> so I want to say two more quick things. I know we were yeah. spending a lot of time on this, but I want to say two more quick things. One, one two is, more. uh, yeah, I find it so fascinating I'm not the first person to point this out. Someone else has said it better than I, but that the, uh, the greatest invention for social justice has turned out to be the camera phone, mm-hmm. you know, yep. that, that it's a, it's a powerful, powerful thing that we all have video cameras in our pockets all the time now. Uh, and, and uh, you know, you, you shudder to think what has never been recorded before, you yep. know, it, it is, yep. it's wild. The other thing I will say, and uh, you know, I'm going to say it is I, have no doubt, if they've even lasted this long, <laughs> that there are people in our audience listening who think that uh, there are good cops and there are good people, and probably have cops in their family, as I do, sure. and um, f- worry about all of this negative feeling toward the the badge and the profession, and I have encountered a lot of people on Twitter uh, angry at me for constantly posting videos uh, that show these transgressions and saying, you know, that the, what has been expressed to me is you never show the other side where they do good things to which I respond. That's the baseline. That's that should that's be the job. Yeah, that's the entire job is to be is to do the good things. Right. There, you, you can't be celebrated for doing the bare minimum of what is expected. And if I were a cop, I would be mortified. I would be enraged if there were any one moment of these transgressions. And it does seem to be the case that while I do believe there are good human beings who have that profession and do that job, And it is a very difficult job. No one can deny it is a very difficult job. And while I do believe there are good people that do it, it certainly seems to be the case that plenty of good people have stayed quiet when they shouldn't around the bad people. And I believe there should be only two kinds of cops. Good cops and former cops. So I don't believe that you can say... You know, oh, you're only showing the bad. Right. There right. should be no bad to show. Just,
1: there's they just, there's should just be... some bad apples, Jeff. It's not like bad apples quickly poison the entire bushel, and you know you got to throw it all out. I, right. I don't know. Let's take that analogy all the way down. You know. Yeah. Per it it what, does per seem, per what we seem to be earlier, a bigger you know, problem. Uh, I mean, there's
0: uh, you. If you turn on the television right now, there's there's tons of stories uh, in which police officers are the heroes. You know, it, it, we see it every single day uh, on every single channel. So. Uh, I I do I have, think the story I have is no up. Doubt, I have no doubt that it's a
2: very difficult job, but like that's the fucking job. The job is the difficult mm-hmm. job, right? So we need the best of the best human beings that can handle how difficult a job that is, right? And I know it's easy for me as somebody who sits here and just talks into a microphone to talk about how difficult that job is, but there, there can be we cannot accept anything other than perfection. They're literally has to be jobs where we can't accept anything other than being 100% all the time.
1: Right. I will say, Jeff, the one, the one like heartening thing right now, too, and there's there's a lot of good stuff, but a lot of the reason that, you know, bad cops stick around or we don't really, they don't get punished for a lot of things is police unions. And that's a tricky subject because I'm somebody who believes in labor rights and I'm very pro-union, but police unions have become this weird cult-like thing that will just protect cops at all odds and even they are getting pushback now like the wga just you know uh i believe is announcing they're pushing to get the some cops union out of their organizations that they're affiliated with And i think that's like a big step because it's those protections that really keep all these things around um yeah yeah Uh, I, you know, from my perspective and we could, we don't want to
0: spend the whole podcast talking about this. From from my perspective, it's less about they need to be a hundred percent perfect and more about the fact that the entire institution needs to be reformed. Um, the entire concept of policing needs to be reformed. And that's something that I think a lot of people are talking about, um, uh, a widely seen clip about this is like mm-hmm. what Don Oliver has talked about recently, like in his episode this week. I'll link to it in the show notes. HBO made the entire episode available for free. Uh, you can check that out. We'll link to that in the show notes as well. So, anyway, uh, some of our thoughts on what's happening right now, and um, yeah, check out the resources that we link to in the show notes. And I should also point out that like there's other uh, voices out there that are, uh, honestly, in my opinion, more important than ours to listen to right now. Um, so uh I would check out those as well. I mean I listen to I mean not to... about movies. It... About this stuff, yes, but not about there's no more important <laughs> no, yeah. voice oh, about movies. movies than ours. It, we are we are we are it. Like we're the <laughs> nepu Ultra, obviously. Um but yeah, I, I think about podcasts like uh Pod Save the People or Um uh, NPR's Code Switch, and I think these are like really uh, yeah. valuable right now and worth. I really like the takeaway. There, yeah, there are the a takeaway yeah. podcast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I, if you are looking for a better informed, more valuable, and more experienced perspective on these issues, um, check out those other podcasts. Okay. Before I get to the actual show today, I do want to read a few emails. On last week's episode of the podcast, Jeff Kanata opined that. People who are young today uh, would experience (laughs) nostalgia for this time period of their lives. (laughs) Um, And, you know, looking back, you'll be like, oh, man, remember that time when we were in the pandemic and there was anti-police brutality protests going on all around the country and, like, we were locked inside and quarantined and, man, those days were great, is what Jeff Kanata said last week. (laughs) Uh, we (laughs) We did get an email, a couple emails. Uh, from people writing into slash com, talking about whether they will remember these times fondly. I'm, I'm going to read one from each side, okay?
2: Yeah. Hayden. I, mean, but I, 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 don't, I don't know if I agree 100% with the framing, but we'll, we'll, we'll go for it.
0: <laughs> Hayden from Austin, Texas writes, uh, and, and the subject line of Hayden's email is, I am a high schooler, all caps. Hayden writes in, I really don't think I'll have nostalgia for not seeing my friends, not having prom graduation, and having to do pre-cal homework on my computer. I'm sorry, Jeff. This has not been a great time. And nowadays, with the advent of social media, it's impossible to ignore or limit the amount of attention you'd give to certain events like you would be able to in the 1960s. That's from Hayden from Austin, Texas. Uh, I-, I feel bad for people like Hayden. You know, high schoolers growing up right now um, who don't get to experience many of those high school mi- high schooler milestones. Mm-hmm. I will say something that <laughs> tickled me about Hayden's email was that he, he says, like, A, not seeing my friends, B, not having prom graduation, and C, having to do pre-calc homework on his computer, which I felt like, <laughs> I don't know if those things are, like, equal in terms of how annoying they are. <laughs> and I
1: mean, and the kicker. Those symbols, those symbols are hard, you know?
0: I guess, yeah. Man. I guess.
2: It's an elevating list. It, it's, it steps up, <laughs> ending an with ascending a crescendo. order of importance. Exactly, the crescendo <laughs> at the end. Uh, I also... No, no disrespect to Hayden, whom I assume is is a uh, very uh, circumspect, self-aware kid. Uh, But part of my part of my point in the original discussion was that it's not possible for them to be aware of it now. Right. If you had asked me in the 90s, if I had thought I would be nostalgic for the 90s, I'd be like, fuck, no, there's all kinds of problems. But now I'm nostalgic for the 90s because it felt like, oh, man, that was nothing. Uh, but I think it's a function. It's a function of age. My grandmother used to talk wistfully about going up to the roof of her uh, of her house when she was a little kid and watching for bombers to come because <laughs> they thought they were going to be bombed yeah. from uh, you know the Japanese from per- Pearl Harbor. Like it, it was, you know, my, my mom and dad talk wistfully about the the uh, unrest in the '60s, and I just think. I think it's not possible to know until this is all a distant memory, but I, I also respect the fact that Hayden is having a tough time and I'm not yeah, trying to take anything very, away from him. He's that.
0: having a very tough time, but what you're, what you're saying, Jeff, reminds me of, you know, as usual, I like to quote The Onion, uh, this Onion headline, amount of water man just used to wash dish to be prize of hand-to-hand combat <laughs> match in 2065. Yeah, End quote. yeah, exactly. <laughs> The idea being that in 2065 we'll be living in a post-apocalypse where you know
2: water is precious, more precious water world,
0: Book of Eli style. You know, water like tiny bit of water is you're going to kill someone to get it. Um, That's what I think of when I when when you say people are going to be nostalgic for today, Jeff. That's what I think of. So (laughs) anyway, uh, okay. This email comes in from uh, Christina, who writes in from uh, Yale. Uh, she writes in, I'm currently listening to your episode on Tampopo and I had some thoughts on your discussion of having nostalgia for the current moment. I'm 22, but have been tuning into the slash filmcast since high school. At the time, I was prepping to apply to college, to leave for college, hoping to come out with a film degree and a job in the industry. Instead, I'm writing this email from my parents' house, where I guess I live now for the foreseeable future, trying to get (laughs) through this insane sci-fi horror movie we're living in along with everyone else, while at the same time trying to weigh how and when and where to start trying to build a career in an industry on lockdown. I'm lucky. I've got the degree with a double major from an Ivy League school, no less, and the luxury of being able to rely on a comfortable home with family for as long as I need while I and the world figure my shit out. I know many people, friends, the voices we hear ringing out all over the world in the news and in podcasts, in op-eds and pleas for help from the front lines, cannot stay the same. That said, I do get Jeff's point about feeling some premature nostalgia. A canceled graduation also turned into a month of hugging and crying and trying to soak in time together with friends. And being home has given me time to reflect and, weirdly, alleviated some of my anxiety about planning next steps from home. It gave me space to process, but then if the world wasn't on fire in the first place, there'd be far less processing to be done in the first place. (laughs) I I think hearing stories of the generations that came before us, the way they lament and long for the golden age of LSD and Woodstock or perms and Prince, has made maybe uh, us a little more conscious of Kodak moments while we're in them. I spent four years in college trying to preserve it all in memory, knowing that I'd look back on them as glory days, that making it to graduation day in the first place would likely be my greatest achievement for the rest of my life. In her book of essays called Too Much and Not the Mood, Durga Chu Bose describes the condition as a symptom of being a nook person, someone who expresses appreciation for a moment by maintaining how she will miss what is presently happening. I don't think I'll miss trying to grow up and become an adult in a time of corona. I do think, though, that the barrage of bad news, the endless statistics, and 100,000 names of the dead alongside the dying splattered across newspapers and in our inboxes, Remind us how uh, of how fleeting the good moments are. If nothing else, the current moment might tell us more about how we'll treat the world we miss so much once we've given a chance to go back to it. Whatever normal looks like on the other side, if there is one. We're reminded of how fragile, how improbable, and what a miracle the world we used to know was. I miss that, and I hope we can go back to it. End quote. I love that. Getting a little it's choked beautiful. up reading this. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful.
1: I mean, there, there are things I... I see why it's she not got just, into Yale. yeah.
0: It's not I, just going I'm just going to point back. out by the way that like, you know, Christina started listening to us in high school, then got into Yale. Coincidence? Um, not, I think not. I mean, it's definitely a correlation, um <laughs> not going to say causal, but it, you know, it definitely seems like it might be.
1: Defender, what were you saying? So, I'm really wondering, um is there something you guys are really looking forward to, you know, doing once this is over cuz we're going to talk about <laughs> movies, we're going to talk about simple things, but it's also like i i want to travel again i kind of i kind of miss all the places i didn't get to really go to and i want to travel i've never been to japan i've been aching to do that my entire life i just never could do it because i've only basically been traveling for work so i need to do more of that for fun i want to bring you know my daughter around uh i definitely want to do that and go out and experience more of the world there's wanderlust like built up for in me right now and i really want to just go do that so are you guys feeling the same way
2: definitely yeah i mean uh, aaron and i my wife and i were uh big travelers before children and really um they ruin
1: everything in general but now it's like (laughs) yeah
2: well we had two big trips uh scheduled uh this year actually uh both obviously canceled um so, you know, this was kind of one of this was going to be the first time we, we did Hawaii. So that was, you know, right before the pandemic. In fact,
1: mm-hmm.
2: I mean, again, this is going to be our whole episode. That. But yeah. uh, we we were in the, the the airport departing and my wife pointed out a guy sitting who looked in really bad shape. And she goes, that virus that I've just been reading about. <laughs> Oh, Do you man. Think, you know, I'm worried that like it's going to hit here. And I totally downplayed it. I'm like, honey, because he was like wearing a mask and he it was, yeah. he looked white as a sheet. He like the opening green. scene of
0: Contagion over here. Yes. Yeah. Like the yeah. Final, or the final scene of 12 Monkeys, basically.
2: But it was just, <laughs> it was just at that point. It was like early February that we went, like the first week of February. And it was just at that point where we, you'd kind of heard a little bit about this mm-hmm. thing, but mm-hmm. it felt like all the other ones in the past where it wasn't really going to be a big deal. And I was trying to just tamp down worry and she turned out to be right. And she's brought that up several times now. She's like, I wonder (laughs) if that guy had it, you know? Uh, Yeah. It just seems surreal to look back on it now.
0: I like what you tweeted about going on vacation, though, Jeff. You said if when you have kids, going on vacation is just taking care of your kids in a different place, I think. Yeah. Is that what you said? It's true.
2: Yeah. It's oh, it, man. It, it, A place that is much less convenient <laughs>
0: for everything. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Okay. I'll just say that, like, my wife and I have done a lot of living in the last few years. So, like, we... We mm-hmm. traveled a bunch, and and, and so I'm, I'm actually really glad that we got it all in before yeah, this, yeah. this all went down. Because my sense – yeah, I would love to travel again, but um, I just think flying is going to be so unpleasant for yep. years um, that it's, it's going to need to be a really mm-hmm. – I, I, I honestly can't imagine it. I can't, because I I can't, like, uh, people are saying, okay, if we get a vaccine in 18 months, maybe, you know, but it's like, uh, there's no assurance that we're ever going to get a vaccine. There's plenty of diseases for which we don't have a vaccine, you know, like, we might never get a vaccine. So
1: it's like, I I don't, I I don't even want to think about it, I guess is what I'm saying. People are flying now. People are flying. And I will say, like, I've done some research because I got to, I got to get my family down there, you know, to to Georgia. (laughs) And the choice is... Do a road trip, which is like 14 hours Oof. with a baby, which would have to be, and two cats, which would have to be split over, you know, two days. and Yeah,
0: and then you'd have think, to get a hotel, and then yeah, who knows what what's going on there. More contact right? points,
1: yeah. right? There are more contact points for potential danger. Uh What we do know right now is that most modern planes, like, they have really good air filtration systems, so people were worried about recirculated air, but... The HEPA filters do a good job of separating that, and it seems like as long as you're not sitting, like, right next to somebody who's coughing and very sick, you should be okay compared to a lot of, like, being in an enclosed space, um, you know, on the ground where there's no air circulating. So there is that. There is that that's better, but I agree. It's going to be hell to fly, you know. Normally, as we used What to. I
0: mean, what I've learned is you're going to need to get their hours in advance and, yep. you know, yep. um, even longer than usual. And ideally, everyone's going to wear a mask and there's going to be assholes who decide not to wear a mask. You know, like it's going to be a whole to do. And I can't imagine flying unless I have to In for mm-hmm. probably mm-hmm. years from now. So the idea of like, oh, that's the thing I miss the most and I want to do it, it. I just don't even want to think about it right now because it's, it's so far away. Um I have my I have my sights set on on smaller pleasures, you're Like, go, you know, there are many places seen, you can drive to see. Seeing Christopher Nolan's Tenet in theaters. Maybe yeah, maybe I'm yeah. going to risk that, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, I would say going to the movies, uh, eating out, um, seeing friends. You know, these are the things that I miss, and um, I hope we get to do at some point. But just being I, I, able to go to the park
2: with my kids yeah. would be huge. It's yeah. the park.
1: Yeah. The park. Other, other kids have it being sociable. I'm, in a weird way, feeling nostalgic for what will come ahead. Like, I'm kind of looking forward to... Yeah, you know, hopefully ten years or or so. You know, when yeah. maybe things have calmed down and we do have a vaccine, or at least built up enough immunity, or something. Yeah, like exactly. it's safer to move around. I think like, ten years from now, we yeah.
0: probably won't be dealing with this in the same, if everything yeah. goes okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, we won't be dealing with this in the same way as we are right now. I mean, Larry, brilliant. No, we'll be fighting over the water, like you <laughs> said. fighting it over the be... water in the water over wars. The waters, yeah, we'll be in the water wars. Um.
1: But I'm looking really forward to traveling a lot with Sophia and, you know, and my wife, like our family, we will be all over the place and that will be a concerted effort because I feel bad about not doing that enough, basically.
0: Yeah. Uh, it, it's interesting. Like a, a lot of uh, decisions that we made have now been, you really need to deal with those decisions now during the pandemic, right? And I think uh, I've read an article at Slate about how um, people who chose to live far away from their family. You know, like as an example, um, is yeah. now you're, you're probably really regretting that decision because you you could pop over and see him once a year for Thanksgiving, but now that's probably not going to be possible or it's going to be much harder. And, um, I do think that there, there is a component of this where like everyone's reevaluating the decisions that they made, um, because everything is now like hyper local, right? Like, uh, your, your decision set is limited to how far you can drive in your car right now, basically. Um... And uh, I, I don't think all of that's unhealthy. I think there's, a, there's a, a lot, like you're saying, it's causing you to reevaluate some of your decisions and, and hopefully take more trips afterwards and seize what is there of life. Um, and uh, that is kind of what uh, Christina was saying in her email as well. So, in any case, appreciate all the emails coming into slash filmcast at gmail.com and hope everyone is staying safe. And staying healthy out there.
2: I'm hoping that in 10 years we'll still be doing the show and we can get emails from all these people and they'll be like, Jeff, you are so right. I'm nostalgic. (laughs) And please, can I have some of that water that you've been hoarding? (laughs) And I'll say no, no, as I open the floodgates to my minions. I'll
0: I'll look down and I'll whisper no. (laughs) (laughs) No.
2: Hey, speaking of looking back on things with nostalgia and understanding a previous generation, let me tell you about our sponsor, StoryWorth. This was, I think, the best Father's Day present I ever gave my dad. I gave it to him a year ago. And for the past year, he's been doing StoryWorth every week. What is it? StoryWorth is a way to stay in touch with your family and helps bridge the geographic distance by providing lively discussion topics. Basically, what they do is they send out an email every week with a a, a question, a provocative question, an, an interesting question. Not, not something boring, but something that actually gets the recipient to think about their life and write a response. And my dad just emails back a response every single week. And that the end of the year, which is really, it's coming up. I'm so excited, actually. It's coming up as Father's Day approaches. Uh, One year later, all of his responses are going to be collected into this beautiful hardback book that will be a keepsake for me, for my kids, that I'll be able to pass down to them. They'll understand their grandfather in a way that Maybe they wouldn't have been able to in any other way. And it's been amazing. My dad has really loved this process of of thinking about his life, of recounting tales from it that maybe he never told me. I actually bought a second book for my sister so she can give it to her kids as well. And I bought StoryWorth for my mom for Mother's Day. So she just started her year journey through this experience this year as well. It's it's amazing. Um Honestly, it has made my dad so happy. It's made us connect because every single week I see his responses in real time. It's pretty great. So you can give your dad the most meaningful gift this year with StoryWorth. Get started right away without the need for shipping by going to storyworth.com slash slash filmcast. And you'll get $10 off your first purchase. That's storyworth.com slash slash Filmcast. For $10 off. That's the entire word slash Filmcast written out. S-L-A-S-H-F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T. All one word. StoryWorth.com slash slash Filmcast.
0: Gets you $10 off. Let's move to what we've been watching this week. Um, As a result of the turbulent world events that are happening right now, um, a lot of people have been asking, like, what what are the things we can do? Um, How can I donate? How can I educate myself? And uh, many movie studios are trying to help with this cause. They've been making a lot of their content uh, free or highlighting a lot of their content. A couple movies that I'm just going to name right off the top of my head. um, uh, uh, Just Mercy uh, is a movie Mm -hmm. that you can now watch for free. I'm planning to check it out this week, actually. Uh, It's about uh, the lawyer, Brian Stevenson, uh, and... Uh, He's played by Michael K. Jordan in that movie, and uh, you can rent it for free basically across any platform. Ava DuVernay's Selma is available right now uh, for rental as well. Uh, This week I checked out uh, I Am Not Your Negro on Prime Video. Yes. Uh, This is uh, Raoul Peck's documentary about James Baldwin. Uh, I think this is a a very good movie, and I think that the primary thing that I think is great about it is James Baldwin is just an incredible speaker i mean mm-hmm. he is super compelling and uh whenever there's a bunch of clips of him just addressing audiences in, in this movie that are just absolutely incredible and feel uh highly applicable to the events that are going on today right now to to, to put it lightly um and it's also just super uh Shocking and upsetting to see some of the images in this movie, like, uh, uh, about some of the first schools that were integrated. And to compare those images with some of the images we see around the country today, uh, the parallels are uh, upsetting. You know, they're uh, upsetting to think about, but they, they are there. I do think that... Uh, The movie is largely impressionistic. I I, kind of had no idea what this movie was going into it. I read the description, but I didn't really know what it was. And essentially what it is, uh, is there was a book that James Baldwin was going to write that never got written, but it was was, uh, about um, three people who were killed. Uh, Three prominent um, uh, black individuals who were killed um, before their time. And And major
1: uh, uh, civil rights figures too. Correct. Like they were important folks. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, And uh, specifically uh, those people are Medgar Evers, Malcolm X and Martin Luther King Jr. Um, James Baldwin had only completed 30 pages of the manuscript um, at the time of his death in 1987. Uh, And what this movie imagines is using letters that Baldwin had written um, to, I think the literary agent, uh, and also using various uh, speeches, uh, it, it tries to imagine what that book would have been like if it had been completed. Um, and so it kind of assembles all these things together. It's very, I would say, impressionistic. Devendra, would you agree? You see yeah, the movie, yeah. Right? yeah? it's it's
1: it's like a visual essay, yeah. basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I've, you know, I've read a bit of Baldwin. Not enough. I need to really dive into his stuff. But what really struck me is just seeing him, you know, in person speaking and delivering things even when he didn't have time to sit down and write all those words it is it's astounding like the intellect and what he was bringing to this conversation and how he never really shied away from saying the things that needed to be said when it came to race in America especially against you know white hosts and people who may disagree with what he's thinking um i found that really phenomenal and, and incredible to watch
0: there's a remarkable segment that is a clip of the Dick Cavett show when he is he, he talks about uh, some of his beliefs and then he is challenged directly and he addresses it in a really just a beautiful way. And I'm mm-hmm. just like thinking to myself, this is what, you know, late night talk shows used to be like, <laughs> you know, like where you could kind of talk about <laughs> substantive ideas and like have yeah. lengthy arguments that lasted, you know, five to ten minutes. Um, and now we get Jimmy Fallon, you know, that's that's what we well, is going Cabot was
2: famous for that kind of thing. I mean, it was it was a it was a different time, certainly. But yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So I'll say this. It's a beautiful movie. It's an evocative movie. It's very impressionistic. And it's worth it just to see James Baldwin speak. Um, I don't know that this is the first movie I'd recommend if you're trying to learn more about like the civil rights era and social yeah. justice. So because, I was just
1: basically shout out to Ava DuVernay's The 13th, which is, I, I think, also one of these things available yeah. for free. Yeah, yeah. and An incredible, you know, documentary series like it, it it goes deep into basically the prison industrial complex and kind of how it ties back to slavery. Like it's a direct line. It's incredible. Yeah,
0: it's just called Thirteenth, by the way. Um, yeah, yep, And it 13th, is a yeah. it is a feature film. And it's available on YouTube for free right now. So um, we'll we'll pop a link to that in the show notes as well. Um, but uh, yeah, so that is uh, I am not your Negro. And I was just saying, I think it's it's a it's a beautiful movie. But it's like if if somebody has no idea who any of these people are or what their struggles right, are, right. I don't know that this is the first movie I'd recommend to them because I feel like you need. Uh, some pre-knowledge for this movie to really be maximally effective. So, sure, sure. So uh, that's the only caveat I would provide. But I Am Not Your Negro is available right now on um, Prime Video, um, so you can check it out there. I also had a chance to watch another documentary that was also in its own way impressionistic. Uh, B Water. Have you guys heard of this documentary? It's about Bruce mm-hmm. Lee. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, this aired on ESPN, Uh, Last weekend, and it's available right now on um, ESPN Plus. Another another one of those Plus video on demand uh, apps. Um, Too many Pluses. Too many Pluses. But uh, yeah, so Be Water is basically a chronicle of the life of Bruce Lee and his place in American pop culture and media. Uh, And uh, this is a really interesting movie because it does this technique that I've only seen done a few times where there is not a single talking head, or or for, for the vast majority of the runtime, there are no talking heads shown on screen, right? Like there are talking mm-hmm. head. there's interviews that were done, but you never see the person talking. Uh, and it, it creates this really abstract kind of, it, it just makes you think, because it, it puts a lot more work on you to like, yeah, need to yeah. focus on what they're saying and need to focus on um, what's happening on screen because like, you don't like get a Paul Eleven, right? Uh, like a Paul Eleven, that's right. Uh, yeah, the other yeah. one that came to mind was also Amy by Asif Kapadia, mm-hmm. um, the Amy Winehouse documentary, which is really uh, beautifully done as well. Uh, and I actually had a chance to interview the director Bao Win for uh, my other podcast, Culturally Relevant, and I asked him about why he chose that approach, and he said that you have all these people. Uh, who are Bruce lee's contemporaries uh talking about Bruce Lee at, at his during his prime you know and how incredible of a physical martial artist physical specimen he was and to just see like a kind of old person <laughs> basically talking about him would kind of break the reality almost like he really wanted you to be immersed in the time period which i thought was a really interesting uh reason to to approach it that way but of course it made the movie much much harder to make because in general for documentaries it's easy to just cut back to the to the talking head he didn't have that um he didn't have that luxury uh, mm-hmm. so it's a really interestingly made movie and i mean bruce lee's just such a freaking badass guys you know i know you guys know this but yeah yeah uh it's just like, oh, oh now I remember why this guy um, is such a larger-than-life figure and mm-hmm. why every bit of it is deserved. I mean, uh, he's incredible. You know, groundbreaking guy, um, particularly for Asian-American representation. And um, I would recommend you check out this documentary. It's called Be Water. And it's available right now on ESPN. And, of course, you can check out my interview with the director as well and culturally relevant. What have you been watching this week?
1: Yeah, I want to throw out something a little light, um, you know, uh, to to maybe make everybody feel a little better. I really love Central Park on Apple TV+. And this is the new animated series by Lauren Bouchard, the guy behind some of my favorite shows. You know, Bob's Burgers, Home Movies, Dr. Katz. Like, he is... He's been doing like weird, quiet animated comedy for a while. Bob's Burgers is like the first thing I think of his to really take off. Like that thing is going on forever, and I'm really happy for it. This is a series about a uh, the lead caretaker of Central Park in New York who lives uh, inside the park with his quirky family, and it's uh it's a musical too. Like it's a you know it's a bouchard comedy, but it really leans on the musical stuff. And I did not expect the musicals to, the actual songs to be so catchy and well produced and well performed too. Like this thing has an amazing cast. Uh, Who's it? Starring uh, David Diggs, uh, Josh Gad is a big one. Titus Burgess, Kristen Bell, Leslie Odom Jr., Stanley Tucci is in this. Stanley Tucci is in this show as like the uh, the evil rich old woman who lives basically overlooking Central Park and just wants to buy it out and wants to erase the park and it is basically an entire show about um, you know saving the rec center except the rec center is Central Park and I I kind of love it um, I have to say seeing things about functioning. <laughs> pre-time you know before times in new york does make me sad like the idea of just oh man just strolling through central park walking walking by the lake i do miss all of that um but i think the show is just a lot of fun it kind of hits it, it kind of reminds me of those things i miss and the music is so so good like for me i'm not big into musicals um there are some that i really love uh for for many reasons like hamilton but you know i'm not not a big musical guy the songs in the show are so catchy like they feel broadway worthy to me to my you know unschooled ears i think they're really well done so i think you both would really enjoy the show so if you want to break from everything you know crazy happening Check this out. Um, one quick other thing I want to mention, by the way, is the Mythic Quest. Wait, so that's that's Central yeah, Park. That's Central available Park. on Apple TV Plus. Yep. Yes, Go and ahead. also on Apple TV Plus, uh, Mythic Quest put out a pandemic episode. Just an episode filmed entirely over Skype, and I, I have heard it's a masterpiece. It is incredible. It's so it's so good for something that clearly was written after all this started. So something that had to be you know written and produced uh, over the last few months. It is it is so good. Like, Jeff, I hope you um give the series another chance, because I think in its second half, it gets to some really good parts. And this final like this pandemic episode just hits some really great emotional beats. And there's like there's a great sequence towards the end that is just like pure joy. The way we find pure joy, even though we're all trapped at home and or at least a lot of us are trapped at home trying our best to stay social with the people we love over zoom and skype and video chats this show does it in such a way that oh man it just it makes my heart kind of warm and i will be rewatching the single episode quite a bit so i hope everybody checks it out and yeah watch mythic quest in general it's very good that's mythic quest and it's available
0: on apple tv plus uh Apple TV Plus. Uh, I think we're r- running up on the end of that first year uh, trial, huh, Devindro? Oh, I man. think everyone got a free tri- free one year trial of Apple TV Plus. We'll see. Well, how when long...
1: you when you bought an Apple device too, yeah. Right? If you bought an Apple device, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Didn't
2: um, they announce that they're no longer doing original content on that yeah.
0: platform? It's well, no, like...
1: they they are also buying content because they they're can't also just buying bank yeah they, on yeah. original content. Yeah,
0: that's the idea. No, they, they're they're still making Apple TV originals. Oh yeah, they have <laughs> a ton not, of money. They're no, I got...
2: thought they. I thought I read that they are changing their. Am I confusing it with some other platform that made yeah, that announcement? They
0: are, they are still making original content, so, but now they're buying know. more. But like they're they're avoided, avoided, they're buying yeah. other things now too. Yeah, they went all in on Fraggle Rock. True story. True story. Not <laughs> <I> mean, um, <laughs>
2: Not not a bad idea in my opinion. Listen,
0: great idea.
1: The world needs more Fraggle Rock. Yeah,
0: Jeff Kanata. It looks like you and I have a chance to see the lovebirds on netflix is that right yeah. oh i saw yes. that too it's
1: good oh yeah. we all saw
0: the lovebirds all right jeff what'd you think of it i loved it i loved it uh
2: i have to admit that i have despite davindra's protestations and and encouragement uh i have not watched any of insecure so, oh, for, man. Me, so for me so was a fucking revelation. She
1: is, she is so good. She yeah. is a
2: superstar, dude. Yep. She is so good in this movie. So charming, so fun, so funny. I already knew that I liked Kamel Nanjiani, but mm-hmm. uh, he's great as in it as well. It's a very very funny movie, uh, and I I, I love the structure. I loved um, I loved the the way the argument frames the entire. There's an argument at the beginning of the movie. It frames the entire structure of the film, which I thought was kind of fun. And then, you know, I also what I didn't expect about this movie was that these kinds of wacky romantic comedies where they're sort of actiony, almost um, adventure romantic comedies. I think of movies like Game Night, which I also loved. uh, They tend to be about people who fall in love during the course of it. Yep. And I, I really enjoyed the fact that this was a movie about people who had already fallen in love and were. In a place that's a little different, you know, uh, we're kind of falling out of love or, or getting too complacent in their in their relationship. I just thought that was an interesting take on a very kind of tried and true formula. But the just the 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 laughs per minute were great. I laughed a lot in this movie, and it's a testament to the charm and uh, comedic timing of the two leads. It was I really liked it a lot.
1: Devendra, what do you think of the lovebirds? Uh, you know, I liked it. I did, I think Jeff, you liked it a lot more than I did. Um, I think the strength of this movie is entirely Kumail and Issa, who are such like such talents, like such stars, and they bounce off of each other really well. I didn't really dig some of the like set pieces this movie tries to do. Like the the overall plot of it. This is one movie where I think the the actual thrust of the narrative and the plot isn't that strong because what starts off their crazy night is. A very simple thing that could be fixed pretty easily, but I, I don't know. Uh, but beyond that, like I think it's it's a fun adventure, and I really like seeing them banter. I would love to see more movies with these two together.
0: Yeah, uh, I I think this movie is interesting uh, because of the fact that it's like one of these movies that has come out during the pandemic, and yeah. this was feels like to be a big
1: theater release, right? right.
0: It feels like it's, it's one of these kind of uh, part of a dying breed of movies um, that. I honestly don't know if, if the, these kinds of movies are going to be around in theater. If we have theaters, I don't know if they're <laughs> going to be around in them much of, in theaters, right? Like uh, mid-budget movies uh, are just—they were already in a bad state before the pandemic, and now it feels like they might be going away even more. Um, but I think that watching it on Netflix was the perfect environment in which to consume this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I agree with you. I think Issa Rae is awesome in this movie. Um, I. I'm not sure if I thought these two characters had a lot of chemistry together but I think that they're both really funny in the movie and like it's clear it feels like a lot of the movie is like being improvised yeah. um mm-hmm. and I also agree that that with Divindra that to me the the plot of the movie didn't feel as consequential or as interesting as like in a movie like Game Night which I thought was uh, really went in some unexpected directions, and yeah, also yeah. Uh, had had a handful of interesting filmmaking flourishes uh, that were yeah. not present in this movie. Right? Um, I would also put
2: Game Night far ahead of this movie, but I thought this movie yeah. was well worth watching. It was a, I mean, in a time where I just needed to laugh, I laughed a lot, and yeah, I yeah. enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, yeah I want, when you could even say that it was very very sweet movie. And hey, if you're consuming a lot of sweets, maybe you're interested. In our sponsor, Quip!
1: Oh, Quip! I love
2: Quip. I love Quip. I've been using Quip now for over a year. I think maybe even going on two. We are a three Quip family at my house. This is a toothbrush, the best toothbrush I've ever had, which is a weird thing to say, I guess, because I haven't really ranked toothbrushes before I got Quip, but then Quip came along and I went, well, this is head and shoulders above everything else why why because my life is now very few things i can cling to to be routine and now the routine of getting up and brushing my teeth oh it matters it matters and quip allows me to do things in a most productive way the best oral hygiene i can have they are all about providing comfort they've got this sonic toothbrush with these uh with the, uh, the the bristles that are perfectly made for even sensitive gums to not have any irritation, but also do a great job. And the best thing about it is that it has a timer, a built-in timer that pulses after every 30 seconds, and then after two minutes turns itself off, so I know I'm brushing for two minutes at a time every time, I don't have to think about it, I don't have to worry about it, it handles it all itself, another thing I don't have to think about or worry about is the fact that it is a subscription to new brush heads, I, uh, I've i used toothbrushes way too long in the past, and You have a new brush head that comes every three months, which is what dentists recommend. New tube of toothpaste, new battery for your brush. It's so slick. They thought of everything. They even have refillable floss. It's just good. Good health starts with good habits. And Quip lets you have a good habit because it's a subscription. And if you go to getquip.com slash filmcast right now, you'll get your first refill free. On us. How cool is that? That's your first refill free at getquip.com slash filmcast. Spelled G E T Q U I P dot com slash F I L M C A S T. Quip the Good Habits Company.
0: Let's move on. Uh, Jeff, what else have you been watching uh, this week? Well, I also uh, checked out a movie called Loose, which
2: is on. Hulu, I want to say. Hulu? Yeah. yeah. Say? yeah.
1: Hulu with uh, a lot of great other movies. Go Hulu. Man. It,
2: I, dude, Hulu, stepping it up lately with the, the FX on Hulu and the movies. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I have to mention The Great again. Have either of you guys started watching The Great yet? Yes,
1: yes. Uh, I love it, it so love much. It. Love it.
2: So good. It's so, so good. Um, but uh, Brendan Elteny on Twitter who is a friend, a writer, someone I respect very, very much? Uh, recommended Loose to us, and uh, I took him up on that recommendation and watched it. Um, this is a uh, a very challenging movie, a, a very interesting movie about um, two white parents who have adopted a uh, a black son who is currently in high school at the at the time of the movie takes place. But they uh, they. Um, adopted him when he was 10, and he came from a war-torn country where he had done evidently some pretty horrific things. And there is a teacher, played by Octavia Spencer, who starts to suspect that he might have some sort of radical feelings and might be potentially dangerous. And the movie explores this, and it, it kind of pulls the parents to who to trust whether they trust the teacher or whether they trust their son because he denies these things and uh i found that central back and forth that push and pull of uh emotion and trust and who who to who to side with and who's telling the truth and what do you believe to be very compelling and very interesting and very well told but I also think this movie tries to bite off way more than it needs to. I feel like that central story was kind of muddy because the movie Mm -hmm. is also about mental health issues. Octavia Spencer has a sister in the movie who has extreme mental health episodes that are chronicled in the movie. It's also about rape culture and, uh, high schoolers doing things that are on the border of what you might even consider rape. And what is, it kind of challenges you to think about those things, but it's also about, um, ageism and, uh, you know, racism and sexism. And I mean, it just, it really is about so many things all at once that I felt like, I was a little overwhelmed and the, and the movie also pointedly provides no answers. And I think that's one of the strengths of the movie. It's one of the things it sets out to do is that it raises a whole lot of questions about all these characters and then does not come down on any particular side. It does not give you any resolution about what was actually true and what wasn't. It lets you make that decision, which I always applaud in a sense, that stance. But in but in this movie, it just felt like I didn't know what to come away with. I didn't know, there were so many issues that were so huge and so powerful and so heavy and all of them were just left hanging in this place of uncertainty. And I, I understand, I mean, that's the world, right? But for a drama to sort of just be and throw all of that at one, it feels uh it just i didn't it didn't uh didn't land anywhere it just felt like an exercise in yeah i I, re- I recalled you talking dave about um that new mark ruffalo show
0: and um, how it's just sort of like, i know this much is true
2: yeah how it's just sort of like relentlessly dour you know just re- relentlessly uh uh, it's, tor- it's
1: torturous
0: It's torturous yeah. It's basically you're seeing these people subjected To as many horrifying things As, as people can basically bear at all Right I, I It's like an, say an emotional loose... passion of the Christ basically
2: <laughs> Well I wouldn't say loose quite gets <laughs> to that point But it certainly felt to me like Oh my I, we're Now we're doing this? It just felt like oh man I haven't even Reckoned with the last three things You brought up and now we're here? I, You know it just felt I don't know. It it was. Um, this, I wish it had is, been a little more coherent.
0: This reminds me of. Uh, did you guys ever hear about this this parody of Serial, the Serial podcast, called A Very Fatal Murder? Yeah, are, yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there's this there's this parody of the Serial podcast. It's called A Very Fatal Murder that the Onion put out. I know I call it the Onion way too much in my in you know uh, <laughs> on this podcast, but. There's this thing Listen, where he says, good. like, yeah. we need to find the perfect murder. And, and he says in the, in the podcast, like, quote, the murder has to be unsolved, and it has to speak to the decline of middle America, deforestation, saturated fats, beauty standards, <laughs> the gig economy, factory farming, <laughs> the fragility of love, the golden era of television, and CO2 emissions. And most importantly, no one has done a podcast about it yet. <laughs> So it's good. just kind of like, so it good. needs to encompass all of these things, uh, which it sounds like. Uh, that being said, Jeff, I've heard nothing but positive things about Loose. I'm shocked that you're not a fan. So,
2: uh, Yeah, I feel bad even uh, expressing some um, negative feelings about it because I, you know, one of the, the, the tweet that inspired me to watch it this weekend with my wife uh, from Brandon said, hey, watch Loose and then watch it again. And I have not done the step two of that tweet, <laughs> so perhaps I would come away with it. Yeah. Um,
1: your your wife has not forgiven you yet.
0: But are, are you <laughs> yeah. are you a Kelvin Harrison the Junior? Fan, uh, I'm sorry, a Kelvin Harrison Junior fan yet at this point?
1: He's so good. He,
2: he, I I thought the performances across the board were amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, he, and I and he is haunting in it. It it is like I like you go, man. I believe that this kid had went through a horrible childhood and is sort of emotionally vacant but also is like putting on this role of being the best kid but i also believe why octavia spencer thinks he's fucking scary because like everything he says (laughs) is he's like oh hi mrs i don't remember her name but mrs daniels yeah no and everything he says is like oh you're either the nicest boy or you're planning my murder. I don't know which one is which. And it, like, that's the whole movie. Right. And he pulls that off with such aplomb. It, it is, it's a great performance, but it also, you know, ultimately you get to the end you're like, he had to have done it, but also maybe he didn't. And I don't know. It's uh
0: he's it just also feels incredible like in, uh, in another movie called waves where he, which is by the way, mm-hmm. also extremely upsetting. So yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, super talented guy. I can't wait to see what else he does, but um very, very talented actor. Uh, everyone will know his name one day, um, for good reasons, in my opinion. So, uh, okay. Uh, is that it? That's it, Jeff, right? That's what uh, yeah. you want to give us. Sh- yep. Yeah? Okay, cool. That's, that's what we've been watching this week. Before we move on, we want to give a shout out to all the people who donated to the podcast this week. Um, and I want to start by talking about Jeff S who wrote in last week with a <laughs> very interesting dilemma, right? <laughs> He said uh, he doesn't want to learn what any of us look like, uh, and so uh, we, you know, we said, okay, well, this will be fun then. What we should do is we should have you describe what you think we look like, and then have people draw it, right? And we actually got several volunteers from people, artists, extremely talented artists in our audience who said, Hey, I'm willing to draw you guys based on some other guy's description. So I want to start by saying thank you to everyone who did that. Uh, or who, draw, draw, who volunteered. Yeah, and
2: draw us, draw us like your French girls. Please. Yes.
0: <laughs> thank you to everyone who volunteered to do that. We appreciate you. Uh, but Jeff surprised us all. Jeff S surprised us all by writing in and saying that actually he was quite a bit of an artist and he had drawn us himself. So, I'm going to say this officially, but as of now, we are releasing all of the artists who volunteered from any commitments you have made. Um, Sorry it worked out this way, uh, but Jeff S. was talented enough to draw a picture of us, and we have uh, tweeted it out from twitter.com slash slash filmcast. And let's take a look at it right now. Um, So he drew us, and I'll just say that the drawing (laughs) of Jeff is extremely accurate in my opinion. What do you think, Jeff? (laughs)
2: I don't know. It's incredible. I mean, in a way, it is. In a way, I mean, I guess I would be arrested if this was my mugshot, right? <laughs> if this was the police artist sketch and they were looking for me, I would. I would be. You'd be arresting him, I know. But also, I, I, I now I do now have a beard, which is not reflected in this. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: Uh, so I, again, we'll link to this in the show. In fact, maybe we'll make this the show image this week. Um, just oh so people can <laughs> yeah. see it. Just oh curse everybody with this. Yeah. Yeah. Let's uh, curse everyone with my, this.
1: My favorite thing about this, we all look like a rejected Beavis and Butthead characters in, <laughs> in many sure. ways, which I, I love. I've always wanted to be in Beavis and Butthead. So this is perfect. I think this is pretty close.
0: Uh, this is pretty close to Jeff. It's okay with me. Although the char- the person in this drawing has a lot more hair than, <laughs> than I do in real life. Uh, and then Davinder, I just think is way off. It's like not even close, right? I can't, um, I
1: can't even judge. But uh, yeah,
0: <laughs> I'll um, take then. It. Then he also, uh, Jeff also said, hey, he says uh, since faces aren't really my specialty, I've also included a few stock photos, which I think more accurately depict what each of you look like. In my mind, these are spot on. <laughs> and he, he, so he has these stock photos of these people who he thinks look like us. And we'll link to this in the show notes. It's also at twitter.com slash slash filmcast. Um, By the and, way,
2: brilliant to even go that way. Like, I didn't even think of the whole, like, find the stock oh, yeah. photo person <laughs> that looks most like that. But that's a pretty brilliant way to do it.
0: And I'll just say, the photo of Jeff looks exactly like Jeff. It, it just... <laughs> agree with that it looks it exactly is. like jeff. Oh, if, if, it's, a, it's only the hair color that's it's really a red difference. haired version of jeff it is exactly yeah, yeah. like jeff
2: i want to yeah. know does jeff s think i have red hair
0: it's a good question <laughs> it's a good question um there's a very dashing photo of an asian man holding a coffee cup in the other in the stock photo of david it's
1: pretty good uh, i'm actually uh, really jealous how of your i stock see photo. myself
0: you know, yeah. um, that sexy man. And then, uh, Devendra, This I think this is just a stock
1: photo for, like, computer uh, nerd.
0: Yeah, I look like um, Startup
1: Guy. I'm Startup Guy, basically. Yeah, I believe it. That's all. That, that tracks. Yeah. Please don't make me Startup Guy. God. Okay, so thank
0: you to Jeff S. for uh, drawing us. Thank you to all the artists who volunteered to draw Jeff S.'s description of us. And the next step is we're going to email Jeff S. our video, uh, of us talking about his email, and then he's going to film himself reacting to our video. So, we'll, we'll all probably... of this,
2: by the way, incredible content for an audio only show. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Have I mentioned that the podcast is free? Um, but anyway, <laughs> no complaints. <laughs> Thanks so much to donors this week Nicholas Redmond, Robert Kelly, Matthew Mankey, Corey Beaudoin, Bob Zamet and Gretchen Lester for your donations. Uh, we really appreciate it. Also, we got an email from uh, Jack Lee Camarillo, who donated this weekend, writes in, Dear Filmcast crew, I always try to watch the movie before listening to your podcast, which makes for a fun and insightful experience. Both me, my wife, and my 13-year-old son love ramen. In fact, ramen is my son's number one favorite food, so imagine how excited I was. When <laughs> I found out there's a great ramen movies, and you guys will be reviewing it. As it turned out, watching yeah. it with my son and wife, while initially hilarious and fun, turned into one of the most horrifying and embarrassing moments I have ever had watching a movie together with my family a few <laughs> minutes into the room service scene.
1: Listen, you're Thank kid you for the suggestion, the great learn... podcast, uh, Jack Lee yeah. Camarillo. You got to learn about yoke swapping at some point. So.
2: I guarantee you that 13 year old has seen worse. You know what yeah, I'm
1: saying? Yeah. It's wow. great. It's fine. I
0: mean, Jeff, I'm I'm in my 30s. I don't think I've seen worse. No, I agree with
2: you. It's a horrifying idea of the swapping the yolk back and forth. But yeah, you know, 13 the year old. The swapping there. is just it's so foul.
0: If I if I had it's, <laughs> it's foul because it was a chicken egg, probably. Yeah, know. Right? that's what I was um, doing. But I think if, you uh, mean stunning cinematic achievement. That was one take. If one I, if I had seen that when I was a kid, I don't think I would have ever recovered. I'm just gonna put that. <laughs> out.
2: Yeah, you can't have eggs anymore. Sorry, no you, can't more eggs. Have
0: a, you can't have eggs normally any at, at least um okay <laughs> anyway uh, by the way i had ramen
2: this week and it was i've been craving it ever since we saw that movie oh, and i had ramen from the best in my opinion the best ramen place in la my wife and i w- drove miles and miles to get this ramen and it was del- delicious even take did out you, it was good did great. you
1: eat it there or, or no, like no, nearby no no we had,
2: No, we had to take it home. It was Uh, a little bit of a concession, so we did have to, you know, reheat the broth, but Still really good.
1: That's good. It's good. It's just as I I can get delivery ramen here too. And it's like, it's never the same, never the same, never the same as being way too hot and in in a giant bowl. If
0: you were eating the ramen in Tempopo, the old man in the opening scene would have chided you for disrespecting it by microwaving it. Yeah. But I would have
2: to be six feet away from that old man and wearing a mask. So,
0: (laughs) so you're even, you're even. Yeah. Um, I do want to, again, encourage people to, um, donate to causes that you think are worthy, uh, this week. Um, and if you have any money left over uh, then and you want to throw it our way, you can go to paypal.me slash the word filmcast. That's paypal.me slash the word filmcast. You can also go to slashfilm.com, click on the slash tab, use the PayPal links on the side of the page to uh, start an automatic monthly donation. Uh, and, of course, um, if you want to support us without donating any money, super easy. Just leave a uh, podcast review or a podcast rating on Apple Podcasts. It really does help. Okay. Let's get to our review of The Vast of Night.
1: Never, please. Hello?
0: This is WOTW Radio in Cayuga, New Mexico, and this is the news for the hour. Now, what would you like to tell us about yourself?
2: I don't know. Well, aren't you like some big science girl? Tell me about science. Everett, it's Faye. The sound came through the board and interrupted your radio show.
0: What sound like. What's going on, Everett? Seven eighteen here at WOTW. We got a sound we like to play that seems to be bouncing around the valley tonight. Yes, I have a story that might be helpful.
2: I can tell you what's going on.
1: The sound we heard out in the desert—it was coming from thousands of feet higher than anything could fly.
2: They've come here before. They've liked this place. They always have.
0: That was from the trailer for The Vast of Night. It was directed by Andrew Patterson. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. In the twilight of the 1950s, on one fateful night in New Mexico, young switchboard operator Faye and charismatic radio DJ Everett discover a strange audio frequency that could change their small town and the future forever. Uh, right off the top of the bat, I'm going to point out that um, I work for the company at which this is an Amazon original movie, <laughs> uh, and so I will not really be commenting on this movie very much. Um, instead, I am—I uh, will share some facts that I know about the movie, and I will also be eager to hear what my uh, fellow co-hosts have to say about it, but I um, do want to give that disclosure up front. All that being said, your Hardwar, why don't you start? Let us know what you
1: thought of The Vast Night. Uh you know I love I love movies like this and I love things like this. So this is uh you know it's an indie film that really evokes the twilight zone and it does that in a very specific way like it, it liter- literally
0: invokes you know something yeah. not yeah, the direct actual twilight zone but something very close to it.
1: And I love it. I love that it does that um and I love UFO stories. I love specifically the I guess it was a very '90s thing, and as somebody growing up with you know the X Files and loving the X Files, this feels like a one-off X Files episode set in the '50s, where you know this town may or may not be, uh, maybe they're being visited by you know aliens from the sky. And I love so many aspects of this movie. I feel like it takes a while to get going. Um, this is an indie movie that really wants you to, um. I I, I don't know. It starts off really precocious, is probably the way I'd put it. It's like people talking over each other. It's it's a lot of like matter of fact uh, character dynamics, kind of really being spelled out for you. Um, It reminds me of like um, maybe like an Altman movie, like they're trying to be a Robert Altman movie, I guess. Um, So it it took me a while to like get into the groove of what this show or what this movie was doing, and compare it to something like Brick, which remains one of my favorite indie movies and one of my you know favorite movies of all time. And just how tight that script was and how quickly it gets you into that world. Even though everyone's speaking such a unique language, this movie took a while to get going, but once it uh, gets to the point where they're hearing potential, uh, you know, weird sounds in the sky and it's building up this mystery around what happened in this town and what happened to, you know, a, a potential soldier. I really dug that mystery of it and how lo-fi it is. Um, I like the broadcasting geekery of this movie. I just wish um, it feels like it needs some tightening up, even though it's 90 minutes. And uh, this is, I guess what happens. Um, I believe the director also edited, you know, and wrote this movie. So I feel like there needs to be a slightly sharper hand at the beginning, but overall it's, it's well worth watching. How about you, Jeff Conado? What'd you think of the vast of night?
2: Well, Dave, I guess you could say what I thought about The Vast of Night is best summed up in the form of a limerick. Best summed
0: up. Interesting. Okay. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm, Best. I love
2: small budget projects with a director who deftly directs. So artfully showing words can be more special than special effects.
0: Nice. Nicely done. Uh, And this to me
2: is like primer. Or these other like breakout mm-hmm. first films, uh, sci-fi. What you can do with a very low budget, where it is, it's not about how much money is thrown at the screen, not about how big the the special effect, you know, G whiz moment is, but it's about how the characters are, the the tension, the suspense that's generated by just talking it out. And I, I can't wait to get to spoilers cause there's some very specific things I want to say, but I, I really think if you're at all interested in great sci-fi in uh, suspenseful in, in movies that are like, like that where you can sort of see the shoestring budget and, and it, it is surpassing. I think it is, it is um, outperforming what it should be for what it is. You know uh, I, I love those kinds of movies where it's like, you see it's this, it really is creating a larger experience than it actually can afford. Then just watch this movie, just go watch it without hearing anything else about it. Mm-hmm. Because I love that. I didn't know anything going in and you're right. Davindra, that it kind of, it puts you in a place and time at the beginning and you don't really quite know where you're headed. And I loved that. I loved that. And we I'll talk more specifically in spoilers about it, but um, I just, I can't believe this is a first time filmmaker. I know he has done a bunch of, uh, commercials, so it's not really a first time filmmaker, but first time feature. Uh, it, it felt, it feels so confident, so bold. Um, I love this movie. It's my favorite movie of 2020, I think right, right at this moment. And it's because I was on the edge of my seat. I was listening to every word. It's a movie that asks you to listen, and asks you to sort of sit forward in your seat and pay attention. And I love that about it. it. It you know, I didn't think the ending was a home run. Like it didn't it didn't have it for all of its Twilight Zone outer limits aesthetic that it it embraces, I don't think it has that kind of, you know, smack your head, oh my God, Twilight Zone ending. Uh uh, and, and I maybe it sort of set itself up too much for me. And I expected some more, uh, a bigger turn or twist or something, but uh, I don't think the, the ending is a, is a home run, but I think the movie is a home run. I I just loved the experience of watching it. I thought the performances were extraordinary. So naturalistic, so charming, so good. And again, I'll talk more in, in spoilers when we get to it um, about specific things that I want to highlight, but man, w- what a, what a surprise this movie was. It's exactly the kind of movie I love. Uh, very, very word heavy, very talky, uh, very small scale, but like allows a larger scale to exist in your imagination.
0: Here's some of the thought process I went through when I was watching this movie is, uh, I agree with you, super confident debut. And um, I, I was reminded of, I, I had the privilege of meeting the director Lynn Shelton one night, uh, mm-hmm. not as part of a press event, but as a just as like, like a friendly hangout. Um, for those who don't know, Lynn Shelton was an extremely talented Seattle-based filmmaker uh, who passed away very tragically uh, a few weeks ago. And it was very, very shocking. She was only 54 years old. Um, I think we've talked about several of her movies on this podcast. Yeah. Uh, your Sister's Sister, I think, might, might have been one we discussed in the podcast. Um, one of the first movies I saw uh, that she had made was called Hump Day, which is very, very enjoyable. And I remember, you know, talking with her at this bar in Seattle, uh, hanging out with a bunch of other filmmaker people about, like, uh, how she made that movie and, like, what some of her secrets were. And she said, one of the things she said to me uh, during our conversation was she said, hey, you know, if you're thinking about making a low-budget movie... Um, then what you should do is uh, minimize like the number of locations, uh, the number of characters, and most importantly, the number of shots, right? That like every single <laughs> yeah. time you do a shot, it's like a new setup and uh, it takes a lot of time, it takes a lot of money, it takes a lot of days. Just minimize the number, Like just have scenes play out in one long continuous shot. Uh, it's a great way to like save money if you're making a low budget movie. Of course, if it serves a story. Before I move on, just want to say check out Lynn Shelton's work. It's really great. And uh, I, I was very devastated when uh, news came out that she had passed. Um, but yeah, her work mm-hmm. is still with us. So, so do check it out. She, she'd made, um, I think she directed some Little Fires Everywhere recently. And she'd also directed a movie called The Sword of Trust. Anyway, uh, that's what I thought of when I, th- when I saw this movie, which uh, is, takes place almost entirely in real time. And is composed of many long continuous shots. Uh, And I was reading uh, some of the notes about this movie. And apparently like an average movie that you see has between like 1,300 and 1,500 cuts uh, or shots. However you want to define that. And this movie has around 700. Um, So it's like half the number of uh, edits that that we're we're used to in a given film. And... Uh, I, I think that part of it was probably a budgetary limitation, but I do think he makes it work because it's I a think It's a stylistic that,
2: choice for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm,
0: because, because mm-hmm. as a result of that choice, um, you are holding on these actors for minutes at a time. And it really helps you connect with the performance because you're kind of experiencing it with that person. You cannot look away. You cannot... Look at anything else on the screen. There's tension, and you, it doesn't break because it never cuts away. Um, so I thought that's th- that is a bold decision. Um, and there's I mean, actually there's much sorry, bigger,
2: bolder decisions. But I, I want to wait. Yeah, till yeah, yeah. So let's get to so we'll spoilers. <laughs> but but any,
0: anything else before we get to spoilers? Um, but just wanted to kind of mention that like the, the decision to use very few shots of the movie is a bold one, and I think it kind mm-hmm. of fits. What the director's trying to accomplish in this movie
1: and there's some like great creative camera work too like there at some oh, point amazing. there's like a long like a uh, movement shot like it looks like a vehicle it's not a drone it feels too low to be a drone yeah. I'm not quite sure what it is but let's talk about the spoilers yeah yeah there's a lot of stuff happening
0: yeah all right so let's get to spoilers for the vast of night starting right now
1: now you're looking for the secret you're to see this coming
2: no but you won't find it because of course you're not gonna see this coming you're not really looking I have been puzzling over how it you don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret now. You want to be fooled. Okay, so... The thing that just kind of jaw-dropped me, gobsmacked me, was... For the first half an hour of this movie, 20 minutes at least, I was so impressed by the performances of Mm -hmm. the characters and yet I could not have picked them out of a lineup. I couldn't tell you what (laughs) the characters looked like for the first 20 minutes of this movie. You're only ever in a wide shot, mostly low, mostly obscuring the subjects. It is it 20 minutes of a 90 minute movie The first 20 minutes where you're getting to know the characters, I could not have told you what they really looked like. I didn't know. I didn't. The movie doesn't show you them. You're behind them. The, the, The camera's constantly behind things. It is exquisite. And then for the next 12 minutes after that. You are only on a tight close-up. Literally, first 20 minutes, zero close-ups. There's no close-ups <laughs> in the movie for 20 minutes. The second 12 minutes, by the way, I timed this, It is <laughs> only a close-up, a single close-up shot where we just sit on that uh, one face. Then the next five minutes after that, black screen.
0: <laughs> <laughs> brilliant who, who does that dude? i was reading an uh, interview and he was saying like he wanted at one point the director said he wanted the entire call to be black screen mm-hmm. um but that was he, he deemed that to be too bold too bold so <laughs> but the world, dude, is it, is it, it, the
2: world is not ready the world is not ready for this such a confident yep. confident film i mean th- that I just I just was completely blown away by those choices. And the fact that it worked for me, like, I was on the edge of my seat. I was listening. All of the stuff at the beginning, I know, Davinci, you were saying it started slow. For me, it didn't. I thought it really gave such a uh, texture to the world and all these people that we're super familiar with, we don't get introduced to, it, it really creates this small town and all these people that know each other very very well and how comfortable they all are and and you know adults and young people alike are sort of in this familiarity that is I, I just was sort of intrigued immediately by all of that dynamic even though I couldn't really tell who Anybody looked like just how that was all shot cameras moving through cars and behind cars and underneath things and going into the dark with characters and coming out like all this this world that seemed to be happening. And this felt like just the camera was capturing. You know, we walk into this gymnasium, all this basketball, you know, this, the, these cheerleaders are rehearsing and there's stuff going on and we're kind of not paying attention to all of it. It's all just happening around us. All of that chaos and cacophony. And then we have this long walk with the, the two leads and she's talking about all these fascinating ideas about the future. And you go, that kind of is the future that we're yeah. living in right now. Yeah. It's this amazing- You know, Jeff,
1: are you getting excited about the technical aspects of it is more interesting to me than watching it in the movie. It's oh, that makes thing. me so sad. Yeah, yeah. I-, I loved no, it's, all that. Uh, I-, I totally get it. I think I just feel like what, like I can see how you're breaking this down as like the feat of the filmmaking here, but I'm not sure, I'm not sure not being able to directly see these characters or know who they are. It's uh, it's certainly a decision. It's certainly, it's a, uh, yeah, it's a risky decision. I think it may have hurt my ability to connect with these characters too, because I don't, I don't like Everett Sloan. I do not like this guy, which is the thing. Cause he comes across as like, t- to me, he feels like the, uh, the dream main character. He's like a uh, sort of like a manic pixie dream boy type thing where he is. He's the guy everybody loves. Apparently he's the radio geek, but uh, he's in he's sort of like commanding over everybody. He's so charismatic. He's over here. Um, <clears throat> Spending a lot of the early movie just mansplaining to this poor girl. it's uh I feel like I could be sold on the charm of this character a little more if I got to know him. But the movie basically starts with you being like, hey, this guy's so cool. His name, he's Everett Sloan, the best, <laughs> the the lead guy, the head of the radio station, Everett Sloan. And I don't, uh, I just didn't buy him basically but i uh i liked a lot of the other characters
2: i mean i thought he was kind of a douche i i i, yeah. I kind of liked that he was kind of a. Do- I mean i don't know i thought i thought eh. the movie i didn't think the movie was trying to get me to think that he was the coolest dude in the room i thought
1: oh it's it, definitely it's constructed all like a lot like that yeah
2: i i didn't i didn't have that takeaway but i i understand how you you would think that i i i kind of felt like I definitely connected more with her and yeah, and, and yeah. who she is and her sort of um idealism and love of learning. Bay and that
1: Crocker. Yeah. <laughs> These names, man. Yeah. I mean Speaking I don't know. I, there's I, a few like Easter
0: eggs sprinkled in the movie. I don't know if you guys saw. Um oh, yeah. But uh one of them, uh big one is the name of the radio station. Um mm. Do you guys recall what the radio? uh called? like
2: W W something
0: W O T W W O T
2: W. Any 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 guesses? To what that
1: stands for? War of the World. War of the, War of the, the Worlds. Worlds. Yeah, yeah. yeah. correct. Um, There's a good War of the Worlds vibe in this. Yeah. Also, uh,
0: Kayuga, I think, is the name of the high school, right? Or this or this uh, town that they're in. Um, I, it does not exist in real life, uh, but Kayuga Production Studios were the studios where The Twilight Zone was originally uh, mm-hmm. made. Hmm. That's cool. Um, another another neat little reference there for you. I kind of um, wish it hadn't wrapped
2: itself so much in Twilight Zone or like yeah. watching TV. That whole like um, conceit that it has at the beginning of you're watching a television that's sort of this like futuristic television. I don't know. I, I didn't. Um, I didn't think it needed needed that layer, and I didn't think yep. that layer paid off. Mm. So I didn't really understand. Uh, the ending did not was not. Uh, super satisfying for me but
1: yeah any any thoughts on the ending yeah it doesn't really lead up to much like after a lot of like great mystery I think like there is the uh, the on and off phone call with uh, with Billy the I guess what the former soldier who had some personal experience with this and I love the, uh, the conversation with the older woman who like seems to know what's happening um, but then it just all leads up to like a lot of a lot of nothing. I don't. I don't know.
2: Well, I mean, they'd get abducted, right? So they, they're the aliens are real. There's sure. aliens. They're real. Jeff, I've They've... lived
1: through the '90s. I've seen abduction movies. You got to impress me over here. Come no, on. I agree.
2: Like I said, it yeah. didn't. It didn't land. Like the the reveal of them having been abducted felt a little anticlimactic to me. Uh, yeah. i I was hoping there would be some more to that, or some. You know I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It, it's um, all
0: very close encounters to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but uh, also, one other thing, Dindre, you brought up earlier this, there, there is, in the middle of this movie, there is this incredible shot yes. that seems to, it, like, the movie turns into 1917,
2: the all of a flying.
1: sudden.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah, it's incredible. It is truly incredible. You go, like, is this real? Is this CG in some way? Like, and then it gets to, you know, it, we go, it goes, and goes and goes and goes and goes and goes and arrives at, like, you know, dozens and dozens of extras all doing right. things. It's yeah. wild.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, so my understanding of it is that they did uh, a lot of it practically, right, or most of it
1: practically. It um, looks like it's on some sort of vehicle. Yeah, yeah. Or it's like, a, like it's on a, a go. Car- it's on
0: some kind of go kart is yeah. <laughs> uh, how they executed it but wow. um really impressive so they really and, have and this also whole town. i realized like i realized like a very uh, effective way of kind of showing the layout of where everything is yeah um, but you have which, to
2: have yeah. an actual town that works that way in order to be able to do that kind of right. thing you know it's like yeah, yeah. the idea that they shot this in a place that was laid out the way they wanted it to be laid out is pretty wild
0: yeah yeah indeed indeed all right. Well, any other thoughts, gents, or shall we shall we wrap it up there? It's, I think uh, uh, yeah, it's
1: it's good. I I will say I I just what this really evokes for me is like man, the '90s were so weird when like alien and UFO stories were like all the rage because we had um we didn't have as much you know um, there were bad there were definitely bad things happening in the world, but it wasn't as like pervasive to everybody right the mass specter of terrorism you didn't have social media sharing all the cop violence which was still happening back then um the world seemed like a simpler place and the thing we could be afraid of was ufos and aliens and i wonder if a part of me just doesn't have that anymore because uh, we have real things to be afraid of now but uh hey i love that this type of fiction can still exist and uh, i'm pretty sure fire in the sky will still terrify me to this day and <laughs> yeah. communion so yeah Fire in the Sky, great alien abduction movie. Um, And yeah,
0: I think there is something to that, right? That now um, we have all the world's problems can be beamed to your phone in real time in this device that fits in your pocket. Uh, Whereas back then you literally needed to physically connect a cable to a huge board in order to hear someone else's voice in another part of the country um yeah
2: so I mean, one of the things i love about this movie too is like the process yes
1: the, i do like it's that. like a yeah. process
2: porn you know like her yeah. operating that switchboard him loading the reel-to-reel when they're checking all the different tapes and he has to load that reel-to-reel like eight different tapes and he does it and it's all one shot and he does it like he's been doing it his whole life and you go yeah that actor had to learn how to fucking do that you know, <laughs> make it, you know, i don't know i i love that kind of stuff too yeah
0: there's a great there's a great tactile feeling to mm-hmm. these uh low budget sci-fi movies you know yeah. another movie this reminded me of in addition to primer is also uh uh prospect the uh, yes. low budget uh sort of space travel movie and it's like yes a lot of these because they don't have the money for visual effects a lot of the time they just build all that stuff for real you know and yeah um, right and i think it really charm adds, to that
2: yeah. yeah
0: one other thing that also this movie reminds me of is um a movie that has become more problematic now because of the people that were involved in making it, but uh, <laughs> the usual suspects. And I was sure. listening to, I was listening to <laughs> not the, just one of the people that made it either. Yeah, not just one of the people. And <laughs> hey, the uh, I was listening to the Brian Singer, Christopher McQuarrie. You know, this was when Christopher McQuarrie was just like he had written the usual suspect. That was the only thing he mm-hmm. had, he, his only claim to fame at that point. Um, other than the other movie, he, he I think he also did a movie called Public Access. But anyway, he uh, th- he was talking about how. He had his screenplay had like violated all these yeah. rules of what he didn't, know, screen, how he didn't know how to write a proper screenplay. So, he, his screenplay yeah. violated all these rules like he, some rules um, uh, don't have an unreliable narrator, right? Like, that's <laughs> the basic rule of screenplays do not have an unreliable narrator. The hook and, of the movie, yeah. But but it, it felt like, uh, oh, and, and it's because that he didn't have any sense of what the quote unquote right way of doing it was that the movie is so interesting. And I think that's kind of true here. I, I, I think they, that the the filmmaker here does know what the right way is, but he purposely kind of eschews a lot of the conventional things, like how many cuts you're supposed to have in a scene and um, how how much lighting to have in your scenes and things like that. And whether you should, the mix of wide shots and tight shots and all these things that like you, you expect from movies um, are not present here. And I think that makes the movie a lot more interesting. So yeah, I think, I, I think
2: mm-hmm. to be very clear, I know you said this, you are saying he eschews it, but it, I think it's very much a v- conscious choice, not a not out of ignorance. Not out of ignorance. McCurray yes, I do want to make that clear. Yeah. I don't think he's yeah. like
0: doesn't know what he's doing. I think it's yeah, it's very it, deliberate, it was, and that's but, why
2: I think it's so bold. Here's your first feature, and you're gonna come out the gate swinging like this. That's one of the things I love most about it. Is it just felt like this audacious debut for a first feature of like, hey, look at how you can make a movie. Nobody's really done it like this. It's pretty, I mean to to have five minutes of black where you just listen. It's fucking awesome. I don't know. I just thought that was that's such a cool... Yeah, that
0: was really effective. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, that's going to bring us to the end of our review of The Vast of Night, uh, and it's going to bring us to the end of this week's episode of the Slash Filmcast. You can find more episodes at SlashFilmcast.com. Email us at SlashFilmcast at gmail.com. Our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker and YouTuber Kyle Hillinger. Our theme song comes from AdamWarock.com. This episode was edited by Beatty Zhang. Stay tuned to hear what we'll be discussing next week. In the meantime... Kanata Jeff, where can you find more of your work on the internet? You can follow
2: me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Kanada, which is spelled with two N's and one T. And I have several other shows for you to check out if you're so inclined. I do a video game show called DLC. You can find that at 5 x 5tv slash DLC or wherever you get podcasts. I also have a comedy science show called We Have Concerns. You can find that at wehaveconcerns.com or wherever you get podcasts. And I do a long-form Dungeons & Dragons play. Uh, We are going to be featured on IGN again this week. I'm so excited about that. We took the week off last week to let some other voices uh, be highlighted. And I think we're going to be back this week and we'll be back on IGN. Uh, i really urge you to check out the dungeon run you can jump in on any episode it's uh, a show i'm very proud of you can find us uh on youtube by searching for the dungeon run you can find us where you get podcasts by searching for the dungeon run there if you want to just listen to it as an audio show or you can watch us live every wednesday at 6 p.m pacific time at caffeine.tv slash the dungeon run
1: how about you davindra Oh, I'm at Devendra on Twitter, and I also write about tech at Engadget.com. Check me out on the Engadget podcast. Uh, We're having a lot of fun there. Check out our most recent episode where we dove into the kind of hellscape that was social media over the last week between, like, Twitter and Facebook uh, dealing with Trump and his problematic posts. So it was a great discussion. Uh, Go there. I I have a really fun line reading in that episode. So check that out. All right, and uh, I interviewed the director of Be Water,
0: uh, the documentary about Bruce Lee that's on ESPN Plus right now, Bao Win, We talked on my podcast, Culturally Relevant. Check that podcast out if you have a chance. Okay, next week, we are going to be discussing uh, the, what is it called, Divinder, What's the name of the movie? Small, small King movie. Of Staten Island. The King, the King of Staten, of Staten Island. Island. Yeah. King of Staten Island, which is a new Judd Apatow film. Um, that is going to be available on video on demand. Uh, I think it pr- I don't even remember if it was going to be available in theaters. Uh, maybe no, in the before times that yes. was
1: going to be in the before times. This was going to be like the big, you know, one of the big summer releases, and now you can watch it at home. Joy
0: in the before time. You speak the true, true, Devendra. Yes, about the before times. Do you guys? there's a Cloud Atlas I reference? Do. I do. I get it. Cloud Atlas. Okay. <laughs> okay. See you guys later (laughs) Have a great week And until next week uh, We'll see you then On the Slash Homecast (laughs)